This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Wednesday, August 18th, 2021. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show, live from New York City and Fox News World Headquarters. I'm Guy Benson, your host. Appreciate you tuning in every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. GuyBensonShow.com for all the ways to listen live, plus our great affiliates. And there's the podcast for free every day. GuyBensonShow.com. On the program today, Jesse Waters here in studio. Later this hour, Dr. Manny Alvarez on booster shots and other COVID-related issues. Larry Kudlow will join me in studio in our final hour, and we are expecting to hear from the President of the United States, Joe Biden, on COVID, not on Afghanistan. Whether he takes questions after he gives brief remarks remains to be seen. I think it is possible, because they're getting hammered, that he's not taking questions on Afghanistan. Hammered. Right, former President Trump was on Hannity last night. He was taking questions on Afghanistan. We're more than a week into this disaster, this implosion. Joe Biden is the president. Donald Trump has taken more questions on Afghanistan than the president has, which is to say more than zero. Biden has taken zero. And when they get criticized and hammered in a sustained way, sometimes the White House Shifts gears. So we told you yesterday Biden had not spoken to a single world leader over the course of five, six, seven days on Afghanistan. Zero. They admitted this in the White House press conference. Then he finally got on the horn. They're like, wake up the president. We need to get him to talk to someone. So he talked to Boris Johnson from the UK. And Jen Psaki assures us he'll have more conversations in the days to come. Well, maybe the zero questions criticism will induce them to take a few questions today? We don't know. We do know that the president did sit down with George Stephanopoulos for a one-on-one -on -one interview, some of which will likely air tonight on ABC News. I think Biden prefers that setting with a former Democratic operative, now a newsman in Stephanopoulos, versus a press corps peppering him with questions where he sometimes sort of gets ornery and perhaps even more likely to misspeak. So this is a better setting. And look, Stephanopoulos can ask tough questions, but his roots are in Democratic politics. I don't think it's a total coincidence that he was the guy they handpicked for this. But we will bring that to you live. President speaking on COVID, not Afghanistan. And you can place your bets now. Will he take questions? Fox News alert as we get going here on the show. Case count. Nationally in the United States, across the entire pandemic of COVID, 37.1 million cases and growing. That is a lowball number. We talk about why frequently. The death toll now, 623,237 Americans have died from COVID. The Dow is down 144 points right now, 
trading at 35,198, 50 minutes or so to go in the trading day down on Wall Street. Another Fox News alert. A few minutes ago, the State Department wrapped up their briefing on Afghanistan. The Defense Department is now briefing at the Pentagon, where the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, is addressing reporters now. It looks like General Milley is as well, Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Secretary Austin said that the U.S. military is is focused like a laser, he said, on the airport in Kabul, which is all well and good. But that is one location, one avenue out of the country for tens of thousands of people desperate to get out of that country. Would have been nice to have Bagram Air Base right around now, which was a fortified military installation with a huge airfield. Strategically placed, easily defensible, but no, we gave that away in recent weeks, in the middle of the night. They say they plan for every contingency. That seems like a big flaw in one of the contingencies. That's just me as a non-expert. So we will monitor what we are hearing from Secretary Austin and General Milley as that press conference is playing out right now. I want you to listen to a soundbite. It is difficult to make out the words. It's also difficult to listen to or to watch. This is at the gates of the airport in Kabul where there are fences, U.S. troops standing there trying to keep the masses out. There are women crying, desperate. And if you listen carefully, in her accented English, there's one woman saying, the Taliban is coming for me. Listen to the desperation in her voice. Cut 16. Taliban coming for me. She could string that sentence together, begging our personnel to let her through. They plan for every contingency, they say. Yesterday at the White House, we played you some of the sound bites from Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, who his performance was just pathetic, but that's very on brand for everything coming out of Team Biden and this White House on this crisis. I want to remind you of this question and this answer in cut seven. Again, this was yesterday afternoon. Listen. Will the U.S. government commit to ensuring that any Americans that are currently on the ground in Afghanistan get out? That's what we're doing right now. We have asked them all to come to the airport to get on flights and take them home. That's what we intend to do. That's what we intend to do. We've asked them to come to the airport. Remember, we read to you the guidance that Americans were sent in Afghanistan, which was, please come to the airport now. We cannot guarantee your safety. And that wasn't an ironclad guarantee from Sullivan either. Well, we're doing it now. It's what we intend to do. Well, here's reality interceding. Here's reality intervening. Here's reality trampling on that answer from the Biden administration. Clarissa Ward is a CNN correspondent on the ground in Kabul. 
and may God keep her safe. She is doing unbelievable work. It's incredible how brave she is. There's like gunshots breaking out around her. Her crew has been threatened. It was depressing to watch her in more Western attire just a few days ago. And then on came the burqa overnight. Talk about symbolism. Here is a report that she filed earlier today. This was as she was explaining the situation on the ground with the White House saying, oh, yeah, people who need to get out can come to the airport. Well, here's the situation as it's actually happening. Cut 19. The most frightening moment for our team came when our producer, Brent Swales, was taking some video on his iPhone. Two Taliban fighters just came up with their pistols and they were ready to pistol whip him. And we had to intervene and scream. And it was actually another Taliban fighter who who came in and said, no, 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 don't do that. They're journalists. But I mean, really, you know, I, I, I've covered all sorts of crazy situations. This was mayhem. This was nuts. This is impossible for an ordinary civilian, even if they have their paperwork. No way they're running that gauntlet. No way they're going to be able to navigate that. It's it's very dicey. It's very dangerous. And it's completely unpredictable. There's no order. There's no coherent system for processing people. So the White House says, come to the airport. And here's a journalist on the ground saying, That is not workable. That is dangerous. That is not going to happen. In fact, there are a few other details that I want to read for you. The Wall Street Journal reporting that the Taliban has put up checkpoints around Kabul, including at the entrance to the airport. That's preventing thousands of people who have travel documents from leaving. You've got Taliban checkpoints. I do wonder if we're going to start bribing them with actual hard currency to let our people through. Honestly. Give them even more money. And because of this, the Wall Street Journal reports, some of these evacuation flights that they're saying, oh, look, we've restarted these evacuation flights. Some of them are leaving almost empty. Right, so you had the image of the 800 people crammed into that one plane from yesterday with people clinging onto the wheels and falling to their death. Now, with the Taliban setting up checkpoints around the airport, flights are taking off with almost no one aboard because they can't get in. What an absolute disaster. And yet they tell us they planned for every contingency. That's the White House line. Josh Rogan from the Washington Post responds to this and reacts, saying, so much for Biden's plan to let everyone try to make it to the airport on their own. That fell apart literally in one day. That email I read to you yesterday did read like parody. Thank you for your request to be evacuated from Afghanistan. Your request is very important to us. Please go to the airport. We can't guarantee your safety. Good luck. Here's another one. This is from the Washington Post. Quote, about 10,000 to 15,000 U.S. citizens. And by the way, this number keeps shifting. The estimates I've read are between 10 and 40,000 potentially. But this is from the Post. About 10,000 to 15,000 U.S. citizens remain in Afghanistan. There is no plan to evacuate Americans who are outside Kabul. 
as they do not have a way of getting through the Taliban checkpoints outside of the Afghan capital. And apparently, Biden administration officials testified to that yesterday to members of Congress. So the plan in Kabul is try to get yourself to the airport. And we just read to you the problems with that. If you're outside of Kabul, thousands of Americans, there's no plan. There's no plan. And yet the administration, the president and his team say they plan for every contingency. What an insult. What an insult. And Biden, as I mentioned, has not taken a single question yet on any of this. Remember, he ran that basement campaign. He sat in his basement for most of it. Turned out to be a smart strategy to win an election. Trump sucked up all the oxygen. A lot of people didn't like Trump. They were exhausted by him. And Biden sort of let him talk his way into defeat with Biden being the reasonable alternative that people are familiar with. That was a strategy. Like it or not, it worked. But one of the criticisms of the the basement strategy of the campaign was you can't run a basement presidency. But for the last week or so, Biden is sitting effectively in the basement again. I guess waiting for this thing to blow over, trying to wait this thing out. Maybe people will forget and not really care that much. Answering no questions, apparently making no phone calls to foreign leaders. It's the basement presidency in the middle of a giant crisis. And I'm not talking about the COVID crisis. I'm not talking about the ongoing economic crisis in a lot of ways. I'm not talking about the border crisis that he is directly responsible for. No, this is the Afghanistan implosion crisis for which he is directly responsible. He's not responsible for all the problems in Afghanistan, obviously, although he was supportive of the war at every step as a member of Congress, but as and vice president, by the way. But as the commander in chief, when you make a decision, you make the call, we're getting out. It is incumbent on you and your team to have a plan, to really plan for all the contingencies. And not make a mockery of the United States of America, but that is exactly what he's done. And he's gone day after day after day answering zero questions. And what's the plan to get these thousands of Americans outside of Kabul home safely? There is none. I saw a graphic on MSNBC just a few minutes ago. Let me read it to you. This was the Chiron at the bottom of the screen. Taliban engages in violence after promising peace. No way. The Taliban is engaging in acts of violence after saying something else. Raise your hand if you're surprised. I see no hands. Oh, wait, I see the president's hand. He's surprised. He's surprised by everything. Couldn't see any of this coming, except the intelligence agencies say, no, we told him. No one's surprised because the Taliban, to paraphrase Dennis Green, the football coach, they are who we thought they were. They are who they've always been. They're saying a few words. They're acting differently. There are reports of more executions, people getting shot dead at protests against the Taliban around the country. And this is when they're supposed to be sort of on their best behavior. 
But good news, the White House plan for every contingency. One of the administration leaders said something on television last night that is characteristically laughably weak. We will play you that soundbite as soon as we come back. It's the Guy Benson Show on this Wednesday. Stay tuned. The Guy Benson Show. More next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Back on the Guy Benson Show. So we're monitoring this press conference at the Pentagon. Secretary of Defense just said this, quote, we don't have the capacity to go out and collect large numbers of people. Which is a shame because there are thousands of Americans, sounds like five figures of Americans, in country, desperate to get out. And the Secretary of Defense says we don't have the capacity to go get them. And yet the administration tells us that they plan for every contingency. I'm going to keep quoting them on that because they told us that, and it's such an obvious lie. Meanwhile, here's a story from AFP, International News Organization, breaking, this is from today, like literally a few minutes ago, Taliban violating promises on Afghans' access to airport, says U.S. State Department. No way? The Taliban's breaking their promise again on something else? And we're relying on their generosity and good nature to deal with what is facing our people and the folks on the ground who helped us from Afghanistan. Every contingency. Well, at least we have this. Cut 14. This is Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations under President Biden. She's no Nikki Haley, obviously. Here's what she said on TV. Cut 14. And we have expressed in no uncertain terms here at the United Nations through a very strongly worded press statement from the Security Council Uh, that we expect the Taliban to respect human rights, uh, including the rights of women and girls. We have also indicated that they have to be respectful of humanitarian law. Yeah. Well, they're imposing Sharia law, which is what they do. But they have to respect the rights of women and girls. And I'm glad that they upgraded from a strongly worded statement to a very strongly worded Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Worded statement. That's definitely going to do it for a bunch of cavemen from the 7th century. 
raping young girls and murdering their opponents. Maybe we can tweet the letter to them. Jesse Waters joins me after this. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. GuyBensonShow.com Live from New York, it's the Guy Benson Show. With me in studio now, Jesse Waters, co-host of The Five, host of Waters World. Every Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Fox News Channel, at Jesse B. Waters on Twitter. His book, How I Saved the World, a number one failing New York Times bestseller. And I will say, you came on this show before you hit number one, so you're welcome. The guy bump is what they call it. It's a big bump. Big, big bump. (laughs) Jesse, we often have a lot of fun in these segments. Right. It's hard to do that here today. We were watching during the break this press conference still going on at the Pentagon where you've got the Secretary of Defense and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs taking questions. I just want to read some of the quotes that are coming out of this. Quote, we don't have the capacity to go out and collect large numbers of people. That was the Defense Secretary talking about apparently the inability to go help Americans get out of the country. He also said, I don't have the capacity to go out and extend operations into Kabul. Of course, these are choices that were made based on an order from the president. General Milley said, quote, I did not, nor did anyone else, see a collapse of an army this size in 11 days. Talking about the Afghan army, massive failure. You wonder if anyone will be held accountable for any of that. There was a question about trying to save Americans and get them out of the country Evaluations will continue, quote, until the clock runs out or we run out of capability. That was the defense secretary. What clock? The clock that's ticking is completely invented by Joe Biden. If there are Americans at risk in Afghanistan, they're talking about like, well, we're going to do our best until the clock runs out. Yeah, on September 12th, if you're still an American stranded in Afghanistan, sorry, the clock just struck midnight. That's why you don't ever put a hard date on this. Say, maybe do it during the winter season when it's not fighting season. Maybe do it in the harvest season. But in April, when he said we're getting out on the 11th of September, that's when the Taliban advance began. And they're saying this collapse happened in 11 days. No, it didn't. It happened over three months. And he was briefed in June, July, in August as this Afghan army, which wasn't an army, doesn't exist, completely surrendered after a few bribes. So it was a huge intelligence. Also, we pulled ground support. We pulled air support. Pulled everything. I mean, we just pulled everything. Pulled everything and expected this. Now they say this was the plan. So they planned for this guy. So right now he said we cannot go out and rescue Americans stranded in Afghanistan if you're not at the airport. So that, that means they plan for that, Right. Under that rationale, this stranding Americans in Afghanistan, this was an option, they're saying. Now, I don't believe that. Uh, The option. I I don't actually believe that. They're trying to spin it because you can't have the Taliban playing travel agent. That's what's happening right now. And the Washington Post. They're the travel agents for stranded Americans. We read this on the air in the previous half hour. The Washington Post is reporting that the administration is conceding 
that there is no plan for Americans who are not in Kabul. Right. And there are an estimated 10 to 15,000 of them. No plan. So this is an Iran hostage crisis on steroids. What were there, a couple dozen back then in late 70s? Now you have hundreds, if not a thousand Americans stranded in a landlocked country that's tribal, uh, uncivilized. Well, it's, it's, it's no way to get them. Way according, more than a thousand. Way more than a thousand. According to the Secretary of Defense, there is no plan right now to go rescue these Americans that aren't in Kabul. And he actually said there's no plan to push out a road into Kabul to create a pathway for them to get to the city without getting harassed at checkpoints by the Taliban. That Pentagon press conference has now wrapped. Thank God. Yeah. It, that I was mean, scary. It was really bad. And Jesse, I can imagine people listening, some of them saying, who are these two schmoes? Guy Benson, Jesse Waters, they've, they've never served. It does not take a genius to look <laughs> at what we're watching and say this is absolutely not acceptable. It is obviously not acceptable. One question that we heard right before we were coming back from the commercial break on the air, a reporter asked about Bagram. And I've been raising this question. Again, I'm an ignoramus compared to a lot of people when it comes to the military. I'm just a civilian. But I remember when we abandoned Bagram Airfield. We just we turned the base over in the middle of the night. Here are the keys. Our allies didn't even know it was happening that day. And the reporter's asking, why did we do that? What was the purpose of the timing there? Wouldn't it be a lot better to have that base, which is heavily fortified, strategically placed, open, as opposed to this airport over here that has a single runway? And Millie's answer was a lot of CYA saying, well, this was all signed off at every level. And we decided that, you know, compared to the Karzai International versus this one, Karzai would be okay. And I said to you in the break, I said, it's not an either or proposition. We had both. It would be nice to have options right now. We don't have those options because they made a decision not to have the option. And he's trying to say, well, well, it's okay. We chose this one because it might be better. And the reporter said, well, hang on. It was a much bigger airfield, more runways. There's no good answer to that. Yeah, he sold out the commander on the ground, said it was recommended by the guy that was there and said it was a tactical decision that they made. And anybody, if you just look at each airport, one is right in the middle of a city with limited runways and one entry point. So urban warfare, you're surrounded by. You're surrounded by the Taliban. They've surrounded the airport. Now, Bagram, about 20 miles outside the city, multiple entry points, and it's flat outside. It's flat, easily defendable. Big. Huge. And right now we're hearing that they scored a bunch of aircraft and then flew them into other countries, and the Department of Defense has no clue how many aircraft left the country, which countries they went to, Uzbekistan. We don't know. And how do you not know? These are expensive planes, guy. What is he, 30 million, 40 million in aircraft? And they have no idea where they went and who took them? That's unacceptable. I want to talk about the president of the United States. He is expected to speak in a little less than an hour yeah. if he's on time. Often politicians are not for these things. He gave that speech the other day, no questions. I'd be surprised if he takes questions today. He might. I know he's got George Stephanopoulos in that interview that's going to air at some point here. But I made this point at the top of the show. Donald Trump, who's no longer president, has now answered more questions, <laughs> i.e. one, than the sitting president of the United States. And 
I mean, it, it sounds sort of like a glib talking point, but the guy ran a basement campaign and it worked. You can't be a basement president in a crisis, but that's what we've seen for six days. And he's been trying it the whole presidency so far. He's been hiding and he got away with it in the Senate, got away with it as VP, got away with it during the campaign because that was safety because of COVID and he can't do it anymore. And now it's he owns this. And he has to answer questions. I predict he will be forced to answer questions because they're going to be screaming at him. And he'll lose his temper. He'll lose his temper like he did in Europe when they pressed him on Putin. He can't handle these tough questions. Anybody that's overseeing a disaster like this is going to have a tough time answering questions. Well, and and this is the thing. You've got people in this administration who are – Let me phrase this politely, who are smoother communicators and operators than the president currently is. They have been deployed onto TV and before the cameras and in front of journalists to try to explain this stuff. And there is no good answer. They have not done a good job. With all due respect to Jake Sullivan, I wish I could kind of fix his hair yesterday. But he, he just got inundated with questions he didn't have the ability to answer, and then they trot out Wendy Sherman, track record like nothing to be proud of, who tries the emotional play. Oh, we're so upset. You know, We're going to hold a bunch of meetings, these Afghan women. Right now, the priority is Americans stranded in Afghanistan with no plans to get them out. Mark Milley did an okay job. At least he kind of inspired confidence, but the did defense— he? Did he? You know what? When someone has medals like that and is telling you they have the capability to get anybody out there that wants to leave, that, that told me something. But when they go to the Department of Defense, Secretary Austin, I heard a lot of ums, heard a lot of ahs, I, heard a, I saw a lot of looking around. Hey, Joint Chief Chairman, you want to take this question? He did not look like he had a handle on the situation. And with all due respect to General Milley, who's earned those medals and he deserves respect – And you're right. Some things that he said were a little bit more encouraging than other things. When he says we don't have the capacity to go get the Americans who need our help, that's not exciting to me. That is very disappointing. It's a choice, by the way, that was made above his head, obviously. And when he says I didn't anticipate or see this collapse coming, that's also, I mean, I guess an admission of failure. But I see a lot of people on social media saying how do you not add comma And then your resignation, like it feels like there are so many layers of failure to this. And so far, we haven't seen anyone say, you know what? I actually own this. I can't be a part of this anymore. I'm out either because I have failed or because my advice is clearly not welcome here. We haven't seen that. Maybe it's still the heat of the moment. Maybe we will see it down the line. I don't know. Let's say, Guy, you had 20 years to cook dinner. You prepared a recipe, you went shopping, 20 years went into the ingredients, and then you cooked that dinner and you burnt it, and it set the house on fire. You're going to answer questions after that burnt dinner catastrophe and say, you know what, didn't see it coming. You know what, maybe I shouldn't have put kerosene in the chicken. Maybe I should have maybe lowered the temperature in the oven. You're just going to say, I didn't see it coming. You had 20 years to plan this evac. Right. You're and you, you had chairman. 20 years to train this army. And you had no clue 700,000 guys with rifles that you trained wouldn't fight. You, had that, you didn't see that coming at all. That's impossible. You saw the video of these guys doing jumping jacks during training sessions. 
Look, it I was mean, the most uncoordinated thing I've ever seen. On, in fairness to them, a lot of them have died fighting the Taliban, right? A lot of them did fight. Yeah, because we pushed them to the front lines and they had air support. Right, they had support. They had logistics. Intel right. contractors. And then you, you take it all away. This is a corrupt, tribal, backwards country. Corruption is part of that culture. Yeah, the president the, who flew out apparently had like – a hundred million dollars cash on the pallets of cash, so much cash they couldn't even load it into the last helicopter. They had to leave some on the tarmac. I'm surprised Ooh. that uh, Biden didn't reflexively just send the cash to Iran <laughs> directly. Just cut out the right. middleman at this point. Right. All of these State Department experts, these undersecretaries of policy that went to Georgetown, that went to Yale, that understand these cultures, that understand these regions, they didn't see this coming. After 20 years, guy. And then, and then, come on, almost like a cherry on top. And we mentioned this in passing on yesterday's show because it's like the 17th headline. One of the leaders of the Taliban orchestrating <laughs> all of this, we had him at Guantanamo Bay captured on the battlefield trying to kill our people. He was one of their most dangerous leaders, and we traded him and three others. For Bo Bergdahl. For, for a deserter. So we can go get a deserter that was Obama's and give call. away five Taliban commanders, but we can't get thousands of stranded American patriots out of Afghanistan right now? Apparently, We don't yes. have the capability. And whose fault is that? It's Joe Biden's fault. Of course Commander in chief. Right, and you've he got, didn't give him the capability to execute the withdrawal. You've got the Obama echo here. Of that disastrous play, what was it, 2013, 2014, the the Bergdahl thing? And then we have today, and the Biden defenders on this keep coming back to the question of whether we should withdraw. Right, it's a dodge. And making that point. It is a dodge because you can convince a lot of people, and a lot of people are convinced that we should withdraw. There's another argument to be made, and some people have been on this show making that argument as well. Once the decision is made and the die is cast by the commander in chief, done deal. Then it is your job to make sure it happens well. And this, I'm struggling to imagine how it could be going worse. Right. So he said he planned for this. I'd like to see what it looked like if Without Biden winged it. So this is not a surprise if you know Joe Biden. This is the guy that botched the withdrawal from Iraq, led to ISIS. Remember, didn't get a status of forces agreement there. This is the guy that stranded Americans in Benghazi after many, many months of warnings that the situation isn't great there. They couldn't scramble aircraft to rescue our guys there. This, these are the people that gave us the Obamacare website. What, they have three, two and a half years, years, years to figure that. that website out? That couldn't get fixed in about, what, five months, six months? I'm not surprised. This is an incompetent guy who's been able to hide his whole career, and the minute this was the Joe show— Fell apart. The border fell apart. Vaccine confidence fell apart when he paused J&J. You're looking at a labor shortage because of the $300 bonus. Looking at a crime wave. You think Joe is going to crack down on illegal gun trafficking here in America? He just armed the Taliban. Further. He gave the Taliban Humvees, drones, Blackhawks. He's going to chase down ghost guns in Chicago. Come on. It's absurd. Millie, by the way, in the press conference, General Millie said, unexpected evacuation challenges may occur. <laughs> I mean, you, ha- you laugh, but good. it's— I mean, it's, 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 it's Washington speak. It's not how real people speak. Except the way real people speak would involve words that we can't say, 
But <laughs> this is not on the Guy Benson show, at least. This is a blank show. This is a blank <laughs> show that they tell us they plan for. Yeah. Yeah. Quick. I'm, yeah. Go ahead. Quick last thought here because we got to run. I've been thinking about this because this is not primarily at all a political issue. And, you know, you think about, oh, how's this going to play in the midterms? I have no idea what the midterms are going to look like more than a year from now. But you just ran through a bunch of issues. I think about weakness and I think about wokeness. And if there are people who are really upset about either or both of those things, we are watching it every day in real time. Weakness and wokeness. So something like this puts life into perspective. Last couple months, we heard about MAGA grandmoms. We heard about the threat of white supremacy here in the United States. The threat's outside the states. The threat's not from Americans here. It's from outside. And when you botch an easy op like this, people take advantage of it. Russia's going to take advantage of this. China's going to take advantage of this. Who knows what's going to happen? Nothing could happen. And and by the way— I don't know, but— it does not send a confident signal to the rest of the world that America can lead, can be trusted, and can- Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Can execute. Yeah, well, I mean, you're being kind. And you said it's an easy op. Maybe it's not an easy op, but when you have the president and the secretary of state saying, oh, there's almost no likelihood at all that this will happen this way a few weeks ago, and then it happens that way, an absolute unmitigated mess and we're watching it live right now jesse waters co-host of the five i know you've got to get down to tv in about an hour fox news channel 5 p.m waters world on the weekends jesse appreciate it thanks guy we'll be right back fresh conservative talk guy benson show it's the hammer time podcast fox news channel's bill hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day find hammer time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com america's listening to fox news it's the guy benson show on this wednesday Earlier in the week, we had our friend Joey Jones on the show. He talked about fighting season. He talked about the legacy in Afghanistan. He served there. He was badly wounded there. He was watching the press conference that we were monitoring here on the show at the Pentagon. Here was one of his reactions. Quote, wow, Milley, meaning General Milley, throwing folks under the bus above and below him. Well, we'll hear from the president of the United States in the next hour, we're told, on COVID. Not this. Will he take questions? Jesse Waters seemed to think maybe. I'd be surprised, but you never know. Another hour of the Guy Benson Show coming up. We've got everything covered for you here. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. It's a brand new hour here on the Guy Benson Show. We are live in New York City. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow here on the program. Our website, GuyBensonShow.com. GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast is always free of charge. We will continue to monitor the Afghan, uh, the Afghanistan situation and the remarks upcoming at the White House from President Biden. That's expected in just about 25 minutes. We want to cover other things as well here, including covid And what the president is going to be talking about, at least primarily later today, is this decision on booster shots that we talked about yesterday here on the show. And I gave you some of my thoughts based on the reporting about the new guidance that's going to come down in terms of fully vaccinated people getting a third shot because of waning protection eight months or so after their second shot. And we're seeing... The results in Israel, for example, on this front that have been somewhat promising, but obviously this is controversial on some level. I have questions. And joining me now to walk through some of those questions is our colleague, Dr. Manny Alvarez, Fox News contributor, senior health analyst here. Doctor, good to have you back. Hey, Guy, how are you? I'm doing well. So here are a few of my questions about the booster shot recommendations. I am not opposed to this idea it looks like especially among immunocompromised and elderly people in israel who needed sort of this top up it's working well over there it's reversed some of the somewhat worrying trends in israel i'm trying to figure out why we would give this basic kind of blanket guidance to almost all americans to get a booster shot or a third shot as opposed to just the most vulnerable populations, given the hesitancy of so many people even to get a first shot, it seems like asking sort of people who have fully functioning immune systems who are younger and healthier already sort of setting the bar higher, three shots now, I just worry how that might impact the thought process of vaccine-hesitant Americans. Well, listen, I think, uh, again, get, going, getting back to the narrative of uh, how disorganized this has become and how confusing it has become for the American public, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. If you look at the Israeli uh, data, and, and I have a lot of, you know, contacts there uh, in, uh, in, in some of the hospitals, they were very thorough in, in looking at certain populations, age, over the a certain age, uh, people that have uh, vulnerable diseases, uh, people that you know for sure that any vaccine is not going to create the immune response that you expect. Uh, also, the timetable, people that got it in, in let's say, in January, February, early in the, in, in the pandemic uh, phase of giving vaccines. And the conclusion was that they, they were able to measure. Remember, the Israelis, one of the things that they do is they measure antibody responses in some of their patients. So they saw the, 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 the drop down in, uh, of immunity of antibody productions and therefore came to the conclusion that these boosters were necessary, and I totally agree. Now, for us, it, it could have been the same kind of mandate, the same logical explanation, 
because uh, you know doctors, especially general doctors that are not well embedded into into the immunology phase, who, who speak uh, who speak to the community, uh, you know, to their patients and their community, you know, they're not they were not ready for the sort of the answers that they needed to have in order to give assurances that patients should get the booster shot. So again, I think that this rollout was just kind of absolutely uh, disorganized. And in the back of that, you have to remember, we still have not gotten approval by the FDA for full approval for the vaccine. Okay, let me jump in. Narrative. Let me jump in yeah. on that because uh, you're just, you are raising so many additional questions on the FDA approval. And I made this point as a layperson on the air yesterday, not a doctor, not pretending to be one on the radio. However, I looked at the data. We're at what? 357 million doses administered of these vaccines into yeah. arms of the American people, 350 plus million of them. What is the point of withholding full FDA approval? I mean, we've already put it into almost everyone. Well, they, remember, full approval uh, from the FDA uh, is typically a, a very long process because it's just not all only about the side effects and and looking at the data and how many people got it and who got sick from it and what were the complication rates in in relation to the the number of people. They also uh, go into manufacturing uh, protocols. You know, they inspect the factories. They have so it's a, it's a vast amount of inspection. However, I would argue that if you are in the middle of a pandemic, if you fight the war, and let's argue for 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 a for a minute that the FDA staff that's going to do the final approval is a staff of 20 people, let's say, and I'm just using numbers out of out of a hat. Um, you go ahead and you hire 60 people and say, listen, guys, uh, a group of you go inspect the factory because right. we have to check that box. Uh, Fast track you just. Let's correct. Exactly. You're in the middle of a war. Act like if you're in a war. So what happens is if you late, if you read the latest uh, reports from the, uh, you know, from the FDA, they said, well, maybe in a couple of months. But in the midst of all of this, now you have this this whole issue of booster shots. Well, and, and that's that's the thing, and, doctor, right? They're saying, well, we might get around to full approval in a few months, yeah. but we're going to recommend everyone get a third one of these things. <laughs> and then right, there right. are people who aren't sure if they even want their first. We're trying to convince them. A lot of them, exactly. a lot of them tell us if it were fully approved by the FDA, that would be a significant move in their mind. And now we're saying, well, we're not going to do that yet, but we're going to start putting third shots into arms. I think that's no, that, that, that's confusing for many people. The other it's question It's confusing and it's incompetent. I mean unfortunately, I feel like we could almost be talking about Afghanistan as well, just disorderly, confusing, incompetent. Yeah. I mean that these are echoes and it's gosh, it's really demoralizing. Doctor, let me ask you about this natural immunity. This is one of the questions that has been on my mind about the booster shot question because now, you know, the government's going to come out and say I'm a fully vaccinated person. All right, guy, you are uh, a healthy mid-30s person who's fully vaccinated. We want you to go and get a third shot eight months after your second shot. Well, I also had COVID. I got a breakthrough case. It was, thank God, very mild, very short, almost no symptoms. I easily recovered in a matter of a few days, and I credit the vaccine for that. But I have also gotten COVID and recovered from COVID, so I have vaccine immunity and natural immunity 
does this booster shot apply to me or someone who survived COVID before the vaccines and then got fully vaccinated? What about that? Well, listen, there's a lot of data coming in uh, on the side from the from people that have gotten natural COVID. This is what we know so far. If you got if you got COVID and I'm talking about getting COVID, not an asymptomatic infection that you weren't sure. I'm talking about somebody who recovered from a full case of COVID. You definitely are going to have antibodies that are produced by that infection. And those antibodies, by the way, seem to cover most of the variants because your body looked at that protein and kind of looked at everything about it. And it, you have immunity for a lot of the variants. The big question it becomes is, is that natural immunity equal to the fate, you know, to the fate that you get on, on antibodies from the vaccine? In other words, are you going to are you going to uh, have them disappear, let's say, in, you know, in six months or so? In which case, if the if the if the COVID is still around and we're still seeing cases every day and pockets of this and that, then, of course, the natural uh, resources to get your uh, your shot. Of course, that's the right thing to do now. Many doctors would argue to say, well, look, before you get there, if you really are concerned, check your antibodies. You know, you can go and get a blood test and see what the load uh, is of your antibodies against COVID. Um, and if you're in that window that you use protection, you use a mask, you stay away from sick people, you check your antibodies and you want to wait. Well, that's a rational approach. But, 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 you know, there's something to be said about natural immunity, and you're going to see more data coming out. And, and again, getting back to the Israelis, they have this information, too, um, where, which is being published in very reputable, you know, medical journals to say, hey, there's a significant group of people that have gotten the COVID disease. Uh, they have strong antibody responses. And at this point in time, they seem to be protected. The well, and also, is, but how and, long does it last? Right. And so you've got the people who just have natural immunity. Then you have the entire category of millions of people who have both, who've had COVID, right. survived right. it, and got vaccinated. And again, I, I am about as pro-vaccine on COVID as you get. I've been beating that drum now month after month after month faithfully because I believe it and because I talk to you guys, doctors, experts, basically every day about it, I have to admit, having survived COVID and recovered easily, having been double vaccinated, I'm not sure I'm terribly eager to start planning a third shot right now. And I mean, if you're telling me that grandparents might need it, someone who, you know, is a cancer survivor or something, that makes sense to me. Telling me without all this data being totally clear about someone in my circumstance, I'm not super on board for it yet. I want to look at the data. I want to talk to you guys. But I, I, I don't know. There's just there's a little bit of skepticism there. And I'm in the same camp as you are. I mean, right now, you know, I took my COVID vaccine in December. Uh, I'm 64. Uh, now I'm having the conversation about my booster shot. Right. Uh, you know, that makes uh, sense. So, uh, you know, that I'm in the, and besides, I'm in a hospital. I work with patients right. so that I'm in a high risk category. So for me, to, for me, it makes a lot of, uh, a lot of sense, but I, I'll give you the narrative. My son, who's 25 came to me yesterday and he took it in, I think in March or something like that. Um, and he said, Hey dad, uh, are you going to give me a booster shot? I said, absolutely not. You don't need one. Uh, you know, number one, you're very healthy. You're 25. You got your two doses. There's no need to go into that, in, into that discussion right now. Uh, 
but, you know, the, pro- the problem is that all these messages are being put out by politicians and, and they're just thrown at people, you know, in, in a very blindsided way. And it gets back to why people become this, you know, they, they don't trust what, yep. what people saying. And, you know, and they stop taking the vaccine. Basically, you know, you go to any vaccine center, you walk in and there's maybe one or two people and all the nurses are sitting around, you know, uh, waiting for for them to come. Uh, yeah, and, I mean, although the good news is that. that we have seen a pretty big uptick. I think it's the biggest numbers since May because people are watching what the variant is doing, the Delta variant, right. in some of these places, and they're scared, and they should be in a lot of cases. Yeah, uh, Dr. Manny, last question. This comes from a listener who wrote in to me and asked me to ask a doctor on the air about this, and I had no idea what the answer was going to be, and I'm putting you on the spot. You may have to look into it yourself. He got covid and it was before, just before the vaccines became available, he has been suffering from long COVID. So he has these long symptoms that have lasted yeah. for months, which sounds like a nightmare. He's been waiting yep. to get the vaccine because he has the natural antibodies. He's still experiencing symptoms of COVID neurological stuff. And he's been waiting to see what the data might show for people in his situation in terms of the vaccine. His question is, if he were to get the COVID vaccine, could that help alleviate some of the long COVID symptoms if he goes and does it now? Because it sounds like it's it's a very unpleasant experience for him. Well, two, two things are, are, you know, there's two things here. Number one, the, 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 the long-term COVID symptoms are not caused by the antibodies. They were caused by the inflammation of COVID. Remember, mm-hmm. one of the, the side effects of COVID is that you get this incredible immune response that destroys everything. And we're seeing, the, and you're going to see a, a tremendous amount, thousands of Americans suffer from long-term sequela from the COVID disease, uh, whether it's the fibromyalgia, the early arthritis, the, the, you, you name it, you know, the, a lot of their, uh, you know, a, a lot of the hormones are going to be affected. And, and we're going to see that. That's no doubt about that. That comes from the inflammation of the COVID. It's not from the antibodies. So if he has a good conversation with his doctor, uh, he'll explain, he'll, she'll explain that to him. And most likely he'll be okay taking the COVID vaccine because the COVID vaccine does not, especially the Pfizer and Moderna, the, the message RNA, it's not going to create any immediate uh, response of, of inflammation. And, and it would really not worsen his symptoms, but it certainly, uh, uh, you know, it would make him protective that God forbid, if he were to get the infection again, he can get more deadly effects from the COVID, uh, you know, especially with his heart I or, see. So, or liver. So yeah. it may not improve the long COVID symptoms, but it's a good idea to prevent a second bad infection where it starts to compound and it could potentially get dangerous. I think that's interesting and important that, advice. And I hope I hope he's listening because he wrote in and I promised I would ask the question. And I put it to our guest, Dr. Manny Alvarez, Fox News contributor, senior health analyst here on The Guy Benson Show. Doctor, we always appreciate it. Thank you, Guy. We'll Bye. step aside. We'll be right back. Short break on The Guy Benson Show. Guy Benson will be right back. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. We are back. It's kind of cool during the break. That listener who wrote in with the question for Dr. Manny was listening live. 
and he listened to our exchange and he told me that he appreciated it and he's going to go get vaccinated. That's, that is cool. As we continue here on the show, I want to bring you this. This is from the European CDC, right? So you've got the CDC here in America. This is the EU's version of that. They're talking about COVID and various issues. There was a Q&A. And one of the questions was on their official website, should children and teachers wear masks in schools? Here is the response in part. In school settings, implementing this measure, meaning masking, is challenging as children under 12 years may have a lower tolerance for wearing masks for extended periods of time and may fail to use the masks properly. In primary schools, i.e. under 12, the use of face masks is recommended for teachers and other adults when physical distancing cannot be guaranteed, but it is not recommended for students. So we're having this conversation, this debate here in the United States about masking in schools. And you have people treating Greg Abbott in Texas and Ron DeSantis in Florida and other governors who are saying, no, we are not going to have mask mandates for every child in schools. We're not going to do that here. We're going to have opt-outs for parents or what have you. They are being treated like they are anti-science Neanderthals, to borrow President Biden's famous term, right? Anti-science, anti-child, going to get a bunch of kids killed because the CDC here says that the kids, including three-year-olds, do need to wear masks. Well, here's the EU CDC saying, no, for kids 12 and under in school, masks are not recommended, not recommended. The UK, which has a lot of data, they've had their schools open with no masks, with the Delta variant, and it has gone fine. And their government has said the same thing that the EU CDC did, not requiring, not recommending masks in schools for children. So you have to ask yourself, if the Europeans and the Brits and others are coming to the opposite conclusion of the United States CDC on child masking, that seems interesting, especially given the data that supports their decisions. And yet Ron DeSantis is a monster for allowing parents to have an opt-out of wearing masks. I don't understand why that is scandalous at all, except for cult-like behavior, anti-science behavior, frankly, and politics. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Talking about the issues you care about, Guy Benson. Back on The Guy Benson Show. Crazy right now, indeed. Fox News Alert. President Biden has taken to the podium at the White House. He is addressing COVID-19 vaccines, not Afghanistan. We do not know if he will take questions when he is finished with these remarks. Let's listen live. This is the president. This isn't about politics. It's about keeping our children safe. It's about taking on the virus together, united. I've made it clear that I'll stand with those who are trying to do the right thing, 
Last week, I called school superintendents in Florida and Arizona to thank them for doing the right thing and requiring masks in their schools. One of them said, we teach science, so we follow the science. The other said, they have a guiding principle. Unbelievable. Students first. Unbelievable. I couldn't agree with more than, I just couldn't agree more with what they both said. And that's why today I'm directing the Secretary of Education, an educator himself, to take additional steps to protect our children. This includes using all of his oversight authorities and legal action, if appropriate, against governors who are trying to block and intimidate local school officials and educators. And as I said before, if you aren't going to fight COVID-19, at least get out of the way of everyone else who's trying. You know, we're not going to sit by as governors try to block and intimidate educators protecting our children. For example, if a governor wants to cut the pay of a hardworking education leader who requires masks in a classroom, the money from the American Rescue Plan can be used to pay that person's salary 100 percent. I'm going to say a lot more about children in schools next week. But as we head into the school year, remember this. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, says masks are critical, especially for those who are not yet vaccinated, like our children under the age of 12. So let's put politics aside. Let's follow the educators and the scientists who know a lot more about how to teach our children and keep them safe than any politician. This administration is always going to take the side of our children. Next, I want to talk to those who, of you who uh, can get vaccinated, but you haven't. The Delta variant is twice as transmissible as the Alpha variant. It's dangerous, and it continues to spread. Vaccines are the key to stopping it. We're making progress. Today, more than 90% of seniors have at least had one shot, and 70% of people over the age of 12 have gotten their first shot as well. That's good news, but we need to go faster. That's why I'm taking steps on vaccination requirements where I can. Already, I've outlined vaccine requirements that are going to reach millions of Americans, federal workers and contractors, medical staff caring for our veterans at VA hospitals, and our active-duty military reservists and National Guard. Today, I'm announcing a new step. If you work in a nursing home and serve people on Medicare or Medicaid, you will also be required to get vaccinated. More than 130,000 residents in nursing homes have had, sadly, over the period of this virus, passed away. At the same time, vaccination rates among nursing home staff significantly trail the rest of the country. The studies show that highly vaccinated nursing home staff is associated with at least 30 percent less COVID-19 cases among long-term care residents. With this announcement, I'm using the power of the federal government as a payer of health care costs to ensure we reduce those risks to our most vulnerable seniors. These steps are all about keeping people safe and out of harm's way. If you walk into a government office building, you should know that federal workers are doing everything possible to keep you safe. If you're a veteran seeking care at a VA hospital, you should not be at a greater risk walking into the hospital than you were outside the hospital. And now, 
If you visit, live, or work in a nursing home, you should not be at a high risk for contracting COVID from unvaccinated employees. While I'm mindful that my authority at the federal level is limited, I'm going to continue to look for ways to keep people safe and increase vaccination rates. And I'm pleased to see the private sector stepping up as well. In the last week, AT&T, Amtrak, McDonald's, they all announced vaccine requirements. I recently met with a group of business and education leaders from United Airlines to Kaiser Permanente to Howard University. We're also doing the same thing. Over 200 health systems, more than 50 in the past two weeks, have announced vaccine requirements. Colleges and universities are requiring more than 5 million students to be vaccinated as they return to classes this fall. All of this makes a difference. The Wall Street Journal reported the share of job postings stating that new hires must be vaccinated has nearly doubled in the past month. Governors and mayors in California, Maryland, Massachusetts, New York, Oregon, and Washington have all announced vaccination requirements. So let's be clear. Vaccination requirements have been around for decades. Students, healthcare professionals, our troops are typically required to receive vaccines to prevent everything from polio to smallpox to measles to mumps to rubella. In fact, the reason most people in America don't worry about polio, smallpox, measles, mumps, or rubella today is because of vaccines. It only makes sense to require a vaccine that stops the spread of COVID-19. And it's time for others to step up. Employers have more power today to end this pandemic than they have ever had before. My message is simple. Do the right thing for your employees, consumers, and your businesses. Let's remember, the key tool to keeping our economy going strong is to get people vaccinated and at work. I know that I'll have your back. Uh, they should know I'll have their back as I have the back of the states trying to do the right thing as well. For example, yesterday, I instructed the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, to extend full reimbursement through the end of the year to state developments of the state deployments of National Guard in support of COVID-19 response. Nearly 18,000 National Guard members are supporting our response nationwide. From caring for patients to administering vaccines to running testing sites to distributing supplies. As the states continue to recover from the economic toll left by COVID-19, the full reimbursement of National Guard services during this pandemic will be another tool that will help them shore up their budgets, meet the needs of their communities, and continue our economic recovery. These are the latest steps we're taking to get more people vaccinated. Next. I want to speak to you all, uh, all of you who are vaccinated. How should you be thinking about the moment we're in? First, know that you're highly protected against severe illness and death from COVID-19. Only a small fraction of people going to the hospital today are those who have been vaccinated. But we have a responsibility to give the maximum amount of protection, all of you the maximum amount. Earlier today, our medical experts announced a plan for booster shots, 
to every fully vaccinated American, adult American. You know, this will boost your immune response. It will increase your protection from COVID-19. And it's the best way to protect ourselves from new variants that could arise. The plan is for every, every adult to get a booster shot eight months after you got your second shot. Pending approval from the Food and Drug Administration, the CDC's Committee of Outside Experts will be ready to start these booster, this booster program during the week of September 20, in which time anyone vaccinated on or before January 20 will be eligible to get a booster shot. So that means that if you got your sh second shot on February 15th, you're eligible to get your booster shot on October 15th. If you got your second shot on March 15th, go for your booster starting November 15th, and so on. Just remember, as a simple rule, rule, eight months after your second shot, get a booster shot. These booster shots are free. We'd be able to get the booster shots at any one of approximately 80,000 vaccination locations nationwide. It will be easy. Just show your vaccination card and you'll get a booster. No other ID, no insurance, no state residency requirement. My administration has been planning for this possibility in this scenario for months. We purchased enough vaccine and vaccine supplies so that when your eight-month mark comes up, you'll be ready to get your vaccination free, that booster shot free, and we have it available. It will make you safer and for longer. And it will help us end the pandemic faster. Now, I know there's some world leaders who say America shouldn't get a third shot until other countries got their first shot. I disagree. We can take care of America and help the world at the same time. In June and July, America administered 50 million shots here in the United States, and we donated 100 million shots to other countries. That means that America has donated more vaccine to other countries than every other country in the world combined. During the coming months of fall and early winter, we expect to give out another about 100,000 boosters, and the United States will donate more than 200 million additional doses to other countries. This will keep us on our way to meeting our pledge of more than 600 million vaccine donations, over half a billion. As I said before, we're going to be the arsenal of vaccines to beat this pandemic as we were the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. So let me conclude with this. The threat of the Delta virus remains real, but we are prepared. We have the tools. We can do this. So all those of you who are unvaccinated, please get vaccinated for yourself and for your loved ones, your neighborhood, and for your community. And to the rest of America, this is no time to let our guard down. We just need to finish the job with science, with facts, and with confidence. And together, as the United States of America, we'll get this done. God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. Thank you. He's walking away. He just walked away. They were shouting questions at him. He didn't take any of them, as was the case earlier this week on Afghanistan. He came out. He gave a speech on COVID, some of which was outrageously political. 
and not rooted in science. It actually goes back to the previous segment that we just talked about on masks in schools. Then he said some other things about getting vaccinated. Great, I'm on board. Booster shots. We just talked to Dr. Manny about that. And off he went. No questions again from the commander-in-chief or to the commander-in-chief in in the middle of one of the biggest meltdowns in U.S. foreign policy history happening on his watch based on his decisions. And he walked away. I have much more to say after this. It's the Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's the Guy Benson Show. We're back. Fox News alert. You just heard it. President Biden came out and gave remarks on COVID and vaccines booster shots in particular. We were wondering if he might acknowledge in any way what's happening in Afghanistan or if he would take even one question. The answers are no and no. Back to the basement he goes. Is this real? Is this like, is this real life? I want, to wake, I want to make one point without sort of taking the bait of trying to change the conversation. The portion of that speech that we opened with, because we took it live, was him clearly politicizing things and going after Republican governors in Republican states on mask mandates for children, saying that they are against the science, against the safety for those, ch- uh, those children, and he's going to use the weight of the federal government to sort of go to war with these governors As they threaten schools and he was saying congratulations to these school districts for doing the right thing and mandating masks for children in classrooms. Even if the governors had said we're not going to have universal mandates for kids in classrooms in Florida, for example, parents have an opt out. He said it's the right thing to do the school districts mandating masks for kids and he was framing the Republican governors in a very partisan way. As the enemy of children and science. I just got finished telling you in the previous segment that the European CDC and the UK, based on lots of data, do not recommend masks in schools for children 12 and under. Do not recommend. Based on data, is President Biden calling Boris Johnson and the leaders of the European Union anti-child, anti-safety, anti-science? Because that's what he wants Americans to believe about Ron DeSantis and Doug Ducey and Greg Abbott. What about the European leaders who have reached the exact same conclusion based on data? I mean, it's one thing for the president to come out and give a little talk about COVID to give us an update on something like booster shots, which is a new policy. But for him to effectively lead with broadsides against his domestic political adversaries while painting their policies in the most uncharitable light, not rooted in data or science, but pretending that they're the enemy of children and all that is right in the world and science or whatever, 
I guess he's trying to bait people like me into talking about that instead of Afghanistan. It does seem like he's much more concerned about Ron DeSantis than the Taliban. That's what it sounds like to me. And I think it would have been an unseemly attack given the circumstances, even if it was true. But it's not true. It's at the very least debatable. Just ask Europe on the mask question for kids in schools. So my blood pressure started to go up listening to that. And then he walked off, turned his back and walked away. Donald Trump has not been president since January. Joe Biden is in charge of American foreign policy right now. He is responsible for what's happening in Afghanistan. This is his decision. It is a nightmare and a disaster that is incompetence on a grand global scale that is crushing American credibility and prestige around the world. And Donald Trump has taken more questions than Joe Biden about Afghanistan over the last week because Joe Biden, the sitting president of the United States, has taken zero. Now, that's about to change because George Stephanopoulos is getting a one on one with Biden. We are getting some audio from that interview. A sneak peek. We will play you that audio as soon as we come back. In the next hour of The Guy Benson Show, don't go anywhere. You want to hear this. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It's the final hour of the Guy Benson Show on this Wednesday from New York City. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. The podcast is free every day. And this hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, TheLongDrink.com. You can find out where it's sold near you. Order online. It's really good. TheLongDrink.com, 21 plus only. Please drink responsibly. Fox News alert as we begin this new hour. Well, we just heard from the president on covid it was a poorly delivered speech. Too much of it was stupidly political and partisan based on dubious science at best. Other elements not objectionable in my view, but the president did not mention Afghanistan, did not take questions, walked away. He did take questions from ABC's George Stephanopoulos. And we are getting a few teaser clips from that interview coming into us now. I will be listening to this with you right now. Cut 34, Biden with ABC News. When you look at what's happened over the last week, was it a failure of intelligence, planning, execution, or judgment? Look, I don't think it was a failure. Look, it was a simple choice, George. When the, when the Taliban, uh, let me back it, put it another way. When you had the government of Afghanistan, the leader of that government, getting in a plane and taking off and going to another country, 
when you saw the significant collapse of the of the uh, Afghan troops we had trained, up to 300,000 of them, just leaving their equipment and, and, and taking off. That was, you know, I'm not, this, it, it, that, that's what happened. That's simply what happened. But we've all seen the pictures. We've seen those hundreds of people packed into a C-17. We've seen Afghans falling. That was four days ago, five days ago. What did you think when you first saw those pictures? What I thought was we're, we have to gain control of this. We have to move this more quickly. We have to move in a way in which we can take control of that airport. And we did. So you don't think this could have been handled, this actually could have been handled better in any way? No mistakes? No, I, I, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that there, we, we're going to go back in hindsight and look, but the idea that somehow there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happened. So for you, that was always priced into the decision? Yes. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say. That first answer was just a mess. A lot of it was him just trying to keep his own thought process on the tracks, so to speak, it sounded like to me. Then Stephanopoulos talks about the people clinging to airplanes and the president cuts in. Well, that was four days ago. That was four or five days ago. Well, Mr. President, you haven't answered one damn question since then. Of course, it's reasonable to ask the question because you have run away from questions. Of course, we want your response to that appalling display because you haven't deigned to appear before a camera and answer a question in the intervening days. Like, what a ridiculous, dismissive interjection. Oh, that was four or five days ago. It is seared into our heads. Anyone who saw that video, you're not going to forget that video. That was four or five days ago. It's like, remember the the Obama kid from the administration went on with Brett Bayer, Benghazi? Dude, that was like two years ago. Dude, this was like four days ago. He said, now we've got control of that airport. Do we fully? Really? The Taliban has checkpoints around the airport. His own State Department has told Americans stuck in Afghanistan, try to come to the airport. We can't guarantee your safety. Does that sound like control? We played you the clip earlier of the CNN correspondent on the ground saying, no, it's crazy. It's insane out here. There's no order whatsoever, even if you've got the papers. And then that last question you're saying this couldn't have been done better and his answer was no it couldn't have been handled better this is the president of the united states basically saying and i'm not really massaging this paraphrase he is basically saying this is the best we could do what you're seeing right now world This is the best that we could do. Remember, they plan for every contingency. This is the best we could do. What an unbelievably pathetic, damning self-assessment that is. What an insult to all of our intelligence. Of course, this is not the best that could have been done. Obviously. Sitting here, knowing almost nothing, I could think of two or three things easily that could have been done differently to make this at least a lot less bad. 
Apparently, there's another clip that's just been released. How long is this, roughly? All right, similar length. Let's listen together. All troops are supposed to be out by August 31st. Even if Americans and our Afghan allies are still trying to get out, they're going to leave? We're going to do everything in our power to get all Americans out and our allies out. Does that mean troops will stay beyond August 31st if necessary? It depends on where we are and whether we can get ramp these numbers up to five to 7,000 a day coming out. If that's the case, be, they'll all be out. Because we've got like 10 to 15,000 Americans in the country right now, right? And are you committed to making sure that the troops stay until every American who wants to be out yes. is out? Yes. How about our Afghan allies? We have about 80,000. Well, who, that's not the Is estimate. that too high? That's too high. How the many? estimate we're giving is somewhere between 50 and 65,000 folks total, counting their families. Does the commitment hold for them as well? The commitment holds to get everyone out that, in fact, we can get out and everyone should come out. And that's the objective. That's what we're doing now. That's the path we're on. And I think we'll get there. So Americans should understand that troops might have to be there beyond August 31st. No, Americans should understand that we're going to try to get it done before August 31st. But if we don't, the troops if, will if stay. If we don't, we'll determine at the time who's left. And? And if there are American force, if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. I mean, obviously, that's the answer. We're going to keep our troops there until we get every American out. His own administration has been hedging on that point for the last few days. And he hedges there as well in that first stab at the answer. And Stephanopoulos, credit, forces him into the corner. And even when he follows up, he doesn't want to admit that American troops might have to stay past the 31st. We're talking about tens of thousands of people with Taliban checkpoints all over the country. The clock that we're talking about, the ticking clock here that the defense secretary referenced earlier was set by the president. And notice he absolutely did not commit to keeping American troops on the ground to get our allies out, tens of thousands of them. Americans, yes, he says, Although it's not a guarantee and we'll reassess a lot of hedging there. But there was one definitive answer. Yes, we are going to keep troops there until everyone is out. I would like to know how that's going to actually work. Are we relying on the Taliban to allow that to happen? Are we going to have to pay the money, bribes or something? What happens if they don't allow it? What happens if someone gets hurt or killed? Then what? Oh, we'll hold them accountable. How? What about the tens of thousands of Afghans who have helped us over the years? We asked them for help. They gave it to us. Their lives are at risk. We made promises to them. Will we make sure that they get safe passage out of that country? Which is now controlled by a terrorist organization that's executing their enemies. Not a very clear answer on that part of the question from President Biden, who said in his speech this week that human rights is the centerpiece of his foreign policy. I'm still trying to get over his answer on how this is all going down. Could this have been done better? He was asked by George Stephanopoulos, and his answer was no. 
His answer was no. His answer was no. I I don't know. No. Uh, I, I can't see how this could have been done in a way that didn't descend into chaos. I don't think anyone is arguing that we could have ensured perfection or even great, maybe even good. Can the United States of America do better than this? You bet your ass we can. And to pretend otherwise is a disgrace. And I think he knows it. You can hear it in his voice. Changing subjects when we come back. It's the Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. So, what was it, a week or two ago we were talking about one member of the squad, the newest member, Corey Bush, who believes that the police need to be defunded for everyone else, but she has private security. And she said, yeah, deal with it. Live with it. I'm important. I've got stuff to do. So if my political office spends 200 grand on my security, deal with it. And we will defund the police. That's the same woman that almost single-handedly got the president of the United States to violate the Constitution and extend an eviction moratorium that he himself said was not constitutional. So the idea that the squad is just a group of ragtag, powerless backbenchers completely demolished by that significant development. That is still a thing, by the way. This fight is still going on. And I think it's going to get thrown out in the courts. It has to be. But we move and lurch from one crisis and major story to another so fast, I didn't want you to forget about that. Because I think if it were President Trump... Ignoring his own lawyers, doing something that he had said was unconstitutional because, pick someone, Lauren Boebert told him to, we would have the phrase constitutional crisis thrown around quite a lot, and probably rightly so. He's like, well, we'll just do it and buy some time to do the thing that I want to do, even if it's not legal. That is what Biden did, caving to the will of Cori Bush from the squad, and she made it very clear proudly on CBS News. The rules are different for me because I'm a lawmaker. I'm important. I need protection. And other people can pound sand. We're going to defund the police and put that money into the community, whatever that means. It is a radical idea that her ilk outspokenly supports even amid the crime wave. Even though people in those communities overwhelmingly do not want the police defunded. As poll after poll shows, they are committed ideologue radicals. So people were pointing out the hypocrisy of Cori Bush. Here's a new one on the hypocrisy front involving the squad. This one from Ayanna Presley. I love this story. I love this story. Ayanna Presley's the one who sort of doesn't get a lot of attention from the squad, right? It's sort of unfair. Everyone knows AOC. Everyone knows Ilhan Omar and her brother. Everyone knows Rashida Tlaib, right? You get attention from anti-Semitic outbursts. Ayanna Presley's just sort of like, wah, wah. They call her the Ringo star of the squad. Well, she has been a big advocate of canceling rent because that's, you know, economically literate. Let's cancel rent, says the lawmaker. And she said it repeatedly. 
Here's a tweet from December. Keeping families housed is a matter of public health. Remember, everything they say is a matter of public health. They want to justify power grabs. This is now I'm off on a, a slight tangent. When they talk about public health, they use that as a justification for everything. It's a crisis. It's a public health emergency. So we have to fight misinformation and impose our will. This is how they argue. But canceling rent being framed as a matter of public health, like gun violence, like climate change, like everything else they talk about. Anyway, back to this tweet. December 1st, 2020, Ayanna Presley, keeping families housed is a matter of public health. We must cancel rent. The tweet goes on. Here's another one from August. America needs us to cancel rent. As if the federal government has the authority, the wherewithal to cancel rent, setting aside whether it's a good policy, they don't have the power to do this. These are contracts between private parties, but these statists, these socialists are like, oh, well, let's cancel rent. She introduced legislation that would have required the federal government to reimburse landlords for rent not paid because they want to cancel the rent. So this is what Ayanna Presley has been shouting from the rooftops, not just ranting on Twitter about it, but introducing legislation, a bill in March of this year, canceling rent and mortgage payments. Would you like to guess the punchline of this story about Ayanna Ringo Presley of the squad? Let me read to you from foxnews.com. And hats off to whatever reporter decided to sniff around on this. Presley's 2020 financial disclosure, as required by law, filed on Friday, disclosed between $5,000 and $15,000 in rental income from a Boston property in her husband's name. The property was converted to a multifamily apartment after it was purchased, according to Presley's disclosure. Presley's office did not immediately return Fox News' request for comment. By the way, they were also reporting the same level of rent income in 2019 before the pandemic. So you could say, oh, well, before the pandemic, they didn't have the public health emergency. So five dollars to $15,000 in, I mean, that seems a little capitalisty of... Monsieur and Madame Presley to be charging rent to people. Think of the people and the workers and the children. Why would you do something like that, Ayana? Why? But then the public health emergency hits and she's demanding the cancellation of rent everywhere, but she couldn't manage to cancel the rent for her own tenants. And that sweet rent money came flowing right in to the Presley Palace and their coffers. Five to 15 grand. That's hard-earned money from people who probably couldn't afford it, Congresswoman. So she shouts and she writes bills. We need to do this. And in her own life, she can't even be bothered to do that exact thing. And I guess the calculation, since this, this is where I'm not sure. Did she realize this could be a problem for her in terms of optics and hope that no one was going to notice in her financial disclosures this little line item? Or does she not even think about it? Is it just mindless, dumb, dumb blathering about whatever new talking point they've dreamed up over in the squad's kitchen without even a thought about how her own behavior and conduct might conflict with the language? I honestly don't know, but it was probably one of those two options. Is Ayanna Presley going to cancel the rent for her tenants in 2021? We still have a public health emergency. Think of the children. Uh... What's that line? If they didn't have double standards, they would have no standards. 
that comes to mind, whether it's Cori Bush or Ayanna Presley. I wonder, AOC might need to do some cleaning of house over at the squad because there are some stragglers who really hurt the brand. Cori Bush not helping, Ayanna Presley not helping, the anti-Semitism from the other two. Oh, wait, there's no squad left. If you start culling the problems, it's down to AOC. Imagine AOC being like your ringleader, your best member of your group. It's almost impressive. The happy hour on The Guy Benson Show continues after this. GuyBensonShow.com. As we continue here on The Guy Benson Show on this Wednesday, thank you for listening. I'm joined in studio now by Larry Kudlow, host of Fox Business Network's Kudlow, which airs at 4 p.m. Eastern, again at 7 p.m. Eastern, FBN. He's also the former director of the National Economic Council under President Trump. Larry, it's great to have you here in studio, face-to-face on the radio. Thanks, Guy. Actually, this is my first Fox Radio in-studio experience. Well, that is groundbreaking. Momentous. Stuff. I know. Well, I've done I'm it honored. many times with you and God and uh, Kilmeade, but never in studio. Well, we're glad that you're here. I want to start. I know that your area of expertise is not foreign policy. You're an economics guy, but when we're thinking about American power mm. around the world and how it's projected, our economic might is obviously a huge component of it. Our military might is a big component of it. There's also this secret sauce of prestige credibility, trust. And I wonder, as you think about American power, how do you view what's happening in Afghanistan? Paper tiger. Paper tiger is what came to mind as this story broke over the weekend. And I was a member of the National Security Council when I served in the government. And this should never have happened the way it happened. In other words, withdrawing from Afghanistan... I think there's a national mandate. My former boss, Trump, was in favor of that. But it's how you do it. And this is where the Biden administration and the National Security Council and the State Department and the DOD completely, completely uh, bungled this. So you let them come in. You make a deal. And I'll go back to the Trump policies where there were certain conditions that had to be met. And... What distinguishes a tough president like a Ronald Reagan or a Donald Trump from a weak president uh, like a Joe Biden uh, or a Barack Obama in foreign policy, at least, is how you do it. So you see the Taliban coming and they're starting to take over provincial capitals, right? Right away, right away, that should have been a signal for tremendous use of American air power. Uh, with scouts on the ground to direct it and to absolutely bomb the Taliban into smithereens in those places where they were acting out against the original deal. Let me reference this. Um, We had an experience with Syria. We, the Trump administration, had an experience with Syria. And President Trump drew a red line in Syria. And he drew that red line for Bashar Assad and using mustard gas and so forth, and killing hundreds of thousands of people. But he also drew a red line for for terrorists. ISIS had taken up residence in Syria. And I'll just remind people, Barack Obama also drew a red line in Syria for Assad. Assad crossed it, and Obama did nothing. That's right. That's a very important point. Very important point. 
And Biden has had red line problems already before with, uh, for example, Russia and cyber hacking. But so um, Trump bombed a big Syrian airport as a warning signal. And it wasn't so much the casualties or the collateral damage. It was the action that said, we mean what we say and we will enforce right, what we, we saw say. You. We saw you and we're doing the thing now. So later on, the Syrian government, of course, gave us no help whatsoever in getting ISIS out of Syria or destroying ISIS, which had taken up residence there, not so far from Western Iraq, okay? So we launched a tremendous mission of uh, airstrikes uh, with the requisite number of support troops on the ground. You know, you have to have spotters and so forth to make that work. And we, um, we annihilated them. They were gone. No more ISIS in Syria. Uh, was tough. Uh, many, many lives were lost. These were terrorist lives. Yes, there was some modest collateral damage. There always is in war. But the point was made. Not only were we able to take out ISIS, I don't want to say we, I want to say President Trump is the, is the head of this. Uh, we sent a signal to both our friends and our enemies that we meant business. Um, guy, 40 years ago, I worked for Ronald Reagan my first job in you know, senior government. And uh, I was a deputy at Office of Management Budget. Reagan was the same way. There were certain symbolic actions, rhetorical actions, and actually physical actions that he took. People thought Reagan was a uh, cowboy from the West. with right, his an hand, ignorant actor, right. right? not a serious person. With his hand on the nuclear trigger, okay? That's exactly the image he wanted because it meant people were afraid of him, okay, afraid of him. And um, we took actions in the Caribbean, for example, that sent clear signals. We took economic actions. We went after Russia in a number of ways, uh, economic actions. But my point is this. These kinds of foreign policy decisions, large-scale major decisions, must be backed up with action. You're speaking to your friends and you're speaking to your enemies. And you must never be in a position that we are in now of being uh, not being taken seriously. And that's why I use the phrase paper tiger. On that point, before we get to domestic politics, if you are Xi Jinping right now, what lesson have you learned? And even like a tin pot dictator like Kim Jong-un is also watching this, right? There's a range of world leaders paying very close attention, of course, Vladimir Putin and others – if you are getting the same message that you're conveying here, Larry, Paper Tiger, at least for now, America is not going to back up its words mm -hmm. and is not competent. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for the world? What does that mean for us? Well, look, it's a great sign of weakness. So you got your tough guys out there, Xi, Putin, Iran, Pakistan which is a very important player in this, one of the winners, I might add, um, you have friends who get the wrong signal. Like India, so important in, in Indo-Pacific, Indo South Asia. Taiwan. Taiwan is going to be front and center. Now, I, I don't actually expect Xi to act on Taiwan anytime soon, but I, Lord knows. But yes, yes, we relinquished our support for Taiwan with this action. So I, they will be concerned. Uh, South Korea is in the same boat you mentioned. 
uh, crazy guy in North Korea. Um, how about this? Europe, NATO. Remember, the NATO had a number of forces. N- NATO, in aggregate, had more forces than the United States uh, in Afghanistan over the long stretch of our uh, occupation. And uh, President Biden apparently did not at any time consult NATO in these decisions that were made. Well, he wasn't talking to anyone, apparently. He had no conversation with any foreign leaders. They said that yesterday. He finally spoke to Boris Johnson last night after being criticized for just being in a bunker. So the point I want to emphasize is you not only send a signal of weakness to your enemies, but you signal you signal it in a sense of a perfidious signal to your friends. Ukraine, you can't rely Estonia, on the Baltic That's states, right. right with Ukraine, Russia. Georgia, the Baltics. You're exactly right. Hungary, Poland, all they're going through turmoil now. These are American allies. I might add. let's let's talk, just for a second. You're absolutely right. The Baltics. I attended all these meetings, bilateral meetings at the UN or in the cabinet room uh, with the president because uh, there are economic issues as well. Um, Hungary is a great American ally. Poland is a great American ally. The Baltics are great American allies. They fear Russia enormously. This is a whiff. This is a third strike kind of thing. You know, it's like the Yankees can't hit with runners on base, at least until the last month. I'm a diehard Yankee fan. Same. So we whiffed. The United States whiffed on this. And uh, it's a a terrible, terrible signal. Uh, The other point I want to make here is, I don't know why that the media will get around to covering this, but the mission in Afghanistan guy was not nation building. Now, once the foreign policy liberals got into it, it became a lot of nation building. Uh, and the Republican Party is probably just as to blame as the Democratic Party. Oh, yeah. OK. And my very dear friend, personal friend, George W. Bush, who I supported, but I think he got in, involved in that stuff. We shouldn't. Have. The original mission was post 9-11 against terrorism. It was a war against terrorism, a very serious war, as you know. And to take out the Taliban. That's correct. <laughs> and, that's correct. And they're back. Which uh, we took them out. Then they came back. All right. Then we took them out again. And now we've given it to them. Not only is the Taliban a terrorist operation, uh, it also, we will also look forward to the Taliban uh harboring and promoting and developing uh, al-Qaeda and ISIS. Okay, they will be back. They will find sanctuary in Afghanistan. And my final point on this one is Pakistan. You know, let's not forget, uh, although Joe Biden was opposed to the killing of Osama bin Laden, uh, which was one of his many, many, many foreign policy mistakes down through the years, it was Pakistan who full, knew full well that Osama was there. Yeah, he was in one of their big military cities in a big compound, <laughs> right, oh. right next to a military base, basically. Okay, so you're right. So um, we can look forward to an emboldened Pakistan, which you know has always been uh, on the edge anyway, and that will be another problem in gauges. So my, again, I come back. This was about terrorism. And so the Biden failure here is, uh, you know, you could say it's a plus for China. It's a plus for uh, it's a plus for terrorism. And that may in the long run, Guy, be the worst part of this story. Well, this has been 
depressing conversation. Let's move to something also <laughs> depressing. Briefly, we don't have much time left. It's here on the home front. There's this $3.5 trillion spending package, Democrats only, reconciliation. They keep talking about this. I saw there was a nonpartisan group that actually ran the numbers. It's really five to five point five trillion. Because there's correct. a bunch of gimmicks in there. Because it's a ten. The, the CBO will score it thus because they will score it as a ten year uh, window, not five years for this and seven years for that. Right, where they pretend like it's temporary spending, and we all know full well it's not. So let's say three point five to five point five trillion. It's just an astronomical amount of money, regardless. It looks like the Democrats are intent on doing this. However, some issues are arising in the House where there's a handful of more moderate Democrats, vulnerable Democrats saying, we're not even going to consider that budget resolution. We're not going to even think about voting for it unless and until the bipartisan deal gets signed into law, which means it has to pass the House and go to Biden. Pelosi's saying, we're not going to do that. We're doing it in the other way. We're doing the other sequence, and the squad is behind Pelosi here. But she doesn't have the votes. I guess my question is, you've watched her operate for a long time. Almost always she gets someone to knuckle under. She gets her way, Pelosi does. But her margin this time is so thin. How do you see this playing out? You know, I I believe she will get her way in terms of the sequence of voting, but I don't think it matters. I, I think the issue that it, the issue of infrastructure versus budget resolution uh, as a timing issue is is a minor skirmish, really. The, the issue here, now, I, this past weekend, I was out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and I spoke to Mike Pence's conference, and I spoke to, uh, to Kevin McCarthy's conference. And my argument on, on this, these subjects is quite simple. The budget resolution, and I, I regard infrastructure as essentially part of all that. You know, these are going to be appropriations. The budget resolution and what's expected to be the reconciliation package this is the vehicle uh, for which the Democrats are going to press their so-called transformation. Agenda. That's right. No, that's right. And they're going to call it infrastructure. Larry, we're up on a break. I just want to remind. It's, it's Go ahead. Armageddon and the GOP must stop it. It is Armageddon. And I don't care about the infrastructure bill. We must be reconciliation. And if you listen to Steve Scalise and Kevin McCarthy, they think they can beat it in the House. We won't beat it in the Senate. We could beat it in the House. We'll see. There's yes. there's limited powers for the Republicans being in the minority in both chambers, maybe not for long. Larry, I'm jealous that you were in Jackson Hole. Last time I was in Jackson Hole, <laughs> a couple of years ago, there was some big news story that broke on the Russia stuff back when we were obsessing on that every single day. And I was out there for an event. I was on a horseback ride <laughs> through the mountains in Wyoming, a horse named Pumpkin, as a matter of fact. I remember this now. And I was doing a phone interview on my own show from horseback. On the saddle. In Jackson Hole, Wyoming. That. That, that's a memory that sticks in your mind. It's a good memory. I <laughs> love that. Larry Kudlow, Fox <laughs> Business Network. His show is called Kudlow, easy to remember, 4 and 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Former official in the Trump administration. Larry, it's great to see Thanks, you face to face. Pleasure. Pleasure. And thanks for helping our show, by the way. I love coming on, and I'll see you very soon, I believe. Yes, absolutely. We'll take a break. Come back with the home stretch. That's next. Energetic, informed, fast-paced. Guy Benson Show. He's got the views of a senior Republican strategist and the looks of a high school junior. Townhall.com political editor Guy Benson. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. Fact check. I'm a college sophomore. That was my intro on Gutfeld last night. 
where Greg goes around the horn and you never know what he's going to say about you. And you're on camera when he says it. So I posted the clip on my Instagram story, Guy P. Benson, you can go watch it. Cookie actually cut the clip for me. She's learning things. A new trick, almost. As I told Wyatt and Maxie, you can teach an old dog new tricks. Your words. <laughs> Your words. So, by the way, if you just heard in the background a very distinctive laugh of Max, our engineer, who we said goodbye to, very emotional goodbye on Friday. Yes, he's still in the control room for parts of the show because it's a transition week. He's doing part TV, part radio. So, in case you thought we lied to you, we did not. You just heard that laugh. And if you're a longtime listener, it's like, hang on. That sounded like Max. In any case... That was my intro on Gutfeld last night, which ended up being a fun experience. And then I went back to the hotel. And this is, I think, a sign when you're starting to get, I don't want to say old, but older. So I'm in the city, right? I'm done relatively early. I'm done at like 730 because Gutfeld tapes. The city is my oyster. The night is young. I went right back to the hotel. I ordered Chinese food. I watched the Yankees beat the Red Sox while eating my Chinese food. I watched Family Feud, and I went to bed. I think this is what the kids call self-care. You really know how to live on the edge. That was some self-care, and it was fantastic. Another sign that you're getting older. Today, I got a text message about the delivery of a new mattress that I purchased, and I got very excited about it. Mattress ownership and adulting, I guess, is the word that people use. Like, ooh, like in the past, like what would get you excited in a text message from your friends? Hey, we're going out, we're doing this. It's like, your mattress will be delivered on August, whatever. I was like, yes, super stoked on that. And then perhaps most shocking to you, Christine, while eating my Chinese food dinner in my hotel room, in my boxers last night, I bought at the bodega next to my hotel, a tall boy of Bud Light, just to have with the Chinese food. I drank maybe half of it. Then my dinner was over, and I'm like, I don't really need the rest of this beer, and I poured it out. Like, this is this is adulthood, I guess. Mm, I always finish the hooch. Are you disappointed in me? Yes, very. Should I have saved it and brought it to you warm and you flat? Should, no, you should have been an adult and pounded it. Life lessons from Cookie on the home stretch. Of the Guy Benson Show. I might try to live it up a little more tonight in New York City. We'll see. I don't know. Relaxing sounds nice. Netflix? Ooh. Another big night in for Benson. Back here tomorrow on the Guy Benson Show. We'll talk to you then. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.